to episode two of the club podcast. Uh, this week we have on a guy called Gareth Morgan, who's the general manager at Long Ashton Golf Club in Bristol. Um, he's a forward-thinking kind of bloke. Um, has come up against lots of issues and kind of talks about the realities of getting stuff done in golf clubs in, in the United Kingdom. Um, his golf club's kind of similar, you would say, to golf clubs you would see all across the country. Um, so it's a good chat, and um, we chatted a couple of weeks ago now from when you'll probably hear this, um, just as they were making the decision whether to um, allow golf during lockdown. We kind of went through the the pros and cons of it all and the big debate around the petition and all those things um, and had a bit of a, I guess, a nuanced conversation as opposed to a Twitter one. Uh, so... Yeah, we had a good a good long chat. This is the first hour of it. If you want to listen to the second hour, um, as ever, go over to patreon.com forward slash the club golf um, and have the full podcast on there. This was released on there a week or so ago, so you can get access to podcasts straight away. Um, we've got another one coming up that's already recorded that will be coming out fairly soon. Um, but without wasting any more of your time, this is Gareth Morgan and this is the club podcast episode two. Hello, Gareth. How's it going? Yeah, it's good. You caught me at a good time. Um, first day of 10 days out of the office for me today. So, um, yeah, some, some R&R time, as they call it in the military. And it feels like a bit of a war at the moment. So. T- 10 days out of the office after how long in? Um, well, I've been kind of catching up on some annual leave. So I, I've, had, I've had a bit of time in August, a bit of time in September, and now a bit in October because... Unfortunately, uh, before that, uh, it was pretty much last Christmas was the last time I had any time off because I was due to have some in late March, sort of the last bit of my my annual entitlement for last year. Uh, and then the world went went mad, didn't it? And um, and that wasn't possible. And then since you know, there's never a good time in my job to take holiday or in anyone's job in the golf club really because we all run on such small teams usually. But um, yeah. you have to look after yourself at the end of the day, and, and you have to uh, you, know, you have to make sure that you do recharge the batteries at times. I'm, I'm 15 years into this job now, at a few clubs I've worked for, and you know I've learned sometimes the hard way, really, that if you don't take care of yourself, um, you'll do a bad job anyway. So you'll get no thanks for it, and you know you you won't you won't do the job to the best of your ability. So I'm looking forward to the week off. Uh, not that there's a great deal you can actually do sat here in Wales because we're on uh, regional lockdown, but just some time. Yeah, to I was going to ask you about that. So you, th- for people that don't know, Gareth, you're the, I don't know what your exact job title is, but general manager yeah. at Long Ashton Club in Bristol. That's correct. That's correct. You've got it right. But you live in Wales. Yeah. So what, how's that with all the, so there's different rules coming in everywhere. I mean, all over the country, I think everyone at the moment's kind of like, what are the rules here? <laughs> but you're literally over two jurisdictions, I guess. Yeah, I've, I've had an interesting journey through this whole coronavirus thing because Wales and England have been very different uh, apart from when we were all just locked in for five weeks or whatever it was. Um, so I've always, my primary sort of attention has always been on what the rules are in England. And then when they regionalised it, I've been watching you know what the regulations are and the new laws in relation to the southwest region but obviously i do have a life outside of the golf club um and then i'm i'm, I'm always sort of keeping an eye on what I'm happens sure your members in wales you know um i'm sure your members don't think you've got a life outside the golf club um no, well, probably not. I, I think what happens generally in that sense uh, in golf clubs is, you know, particularly I find members that maybe come to the club during the week, uh, so maybe uh, sort of retired men and ladies. And, but it's because uh, you're always there whenever they go to the golf club. Um, they sort of they only see you as a golf club manager. Um, or as a, yeah. as a clubhouse manager or a chef or whatever it is that you do at the golf club. And they kind of just assume you're always there. But what happens over time is that they forget you're not one of them. 
so they forget <laughs> that you know you're not an elected person that uh, is there by choice and you know because you've been elected for this period of time it is actually your job um and and, and you get funny ones where you know people saying oh why was he in the car park on his phone the other day it was something i had about 10 years ago i think what <laughs> what you never take a personal call during your lunch hour haha lunch hour um yeah. in your job in your office do you you know it, it but it, it just seems to be that they kind of forget that it's your job and your career but it's not not a case of um not a case of that you you literally live there you know you do have hours of work and contracts of employment and terms and conditions and everything else because like i say there you know lunch hour i think i've maybe the staff i've worked with might might say different but i think i've maybe taken five lunch hours in 15 years in this job i tend to be walking down some pre-made meal whilst reading an email or something <laughs> Um, yeah, and, yeah. and that goes for everyone that works in golf clubs. I'm not special in that, in, in that case, you know, because if you do try go and try and have a break somewhere, and somebody wants to see you, they'll find you anyway. So, yeah, I, I was thinking, I was thinking that because, you know, in like a bigger business than a golf club with more staff, if a manager leaves, there's normally an assistant manager to take mm. over the reins while they're gone on holiday. Yeah. What's the situation? In, in a golf club i mean are you always on your phone or what's the situation there um i've, I've got to say I've, I've been lucky enough to work for uh, for now five um golf clubs they've been very different uh almost every one of them has been very different in how they're set up i have to say i'm i'm lucky where i work now um even though the actual hours of the administration team are probably not perfect it's a sort of legacy thing that um you know the hours of work that my my team work in the office um but they're very good at actually i don't know if the word is coping or you know it's probably a bit better than coping what they achieve you know they, they do manage things so where i work now at long ashton i don't really have the, the sort of nervous energy in me of what on earth is going on at work when i do have a week off um I have to say the first first couple of clubs I worked for because of how they're set up, uh, yeah, it was it, being off could actually be worse than being in sometimes because you would always be absolutely dreading what you were going to go back go back to. But um, I have to say, last you know the last couple of clubs I've worked for, the the staff, the team of staff from top to bottom have been excellent. They've been very experienced. And they just take it in their stride, really. Um, unfortunately, no one's no one's emptying my inbox while I'm off, and nobody <laughs> is, uh, you know, dealing with any of the stuff that's on my desk. But in terms of member member engagement and making sure that member inquiries are, are dealt with, that sort of thing, yeah, I couldn't really ask for better than I've got now. But unfortunately, there are there are people that do my job that they are literally the only person in the office in some cases. Um, that's what I kind of. That's what I kind of thought. And and you kind of mentioned before about you've been at five different golf clubs mm. and they're all different, which is one thing that strikes me about golf clubs in the UK especially, but I don't know if it's like it globally. I'm sure it is to some extent, how the structure can be so different from golf clubs that are three miles apart from each other. Yeah. <clears throat> um, there might be three golf courses in, in a few miles and they're all totally managed totally different. Yeah. And I'm not sure... You know, in like, I, I I know you've got experience in football clubs and stuff at, at grassroots mm. level. Football clubs run the same pretty much, you know, f across the country, you know? Yeah. Whereas golf tend to be so different. Why do you think that is? I mean, that that's probably a podcast in itself, to be honest. But the, I mean, in some cases, um, I mean, I'm, I'm a member of a golf club that for the last couple of years, has felt they could uh, they could run without a manager, um, mm -hmm. which I I find amazing. It's a city golf club uh, in in Wales's capital city. Um, we've got I think it's four hundred playing members, which is about average for the the area in you know for the the city of Cardiff. 
It's a very good golf course. We've got very good uh, head greenkeeper and uh, clubhouse staff there. The pro is, I'm sure the pro lives there. But they, <laughs> for whatever for whatever reason, they've 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 decided that they can't afford a manager in recent years. I genuinely don't know how that club keeps going. Now they've got um they've got volunteers to be fair that put in an just an unspeakable number of hours every single week on behalf of the club and they do what I describe as a remarkable job but my problem with that setup is when the day comes that those volunteers so I mean the you'd be embarrassed that I would that I would mention him but the treasurer of the club the hours and hours and hours that guy puts into the golf club is absolutely unbelievable but what he's now doing in doing that is creating a monster because when the yeah. day comes that he quite rightly says I've had enough, I've run myself into the ground, I can't do it anymore, I need a breather that job is now enormous and nobody's going to touch it with a barge pole you know, yeah. and that's, that's a real shame because you know, when you can't get good people to take on particularly treasurer's roles and chairman's roles in golf clubs, it can actually have a really, really bad effect on the strategy of that club for 20 years to come. Uh, so I just hope that he's got as much stamina as he seems to have and he can keep going and keep going because you know, he's not the only volunteer that puts in significant hours there, I must mention that, but he's an example. Um, and there are other clubs you know, four or five miles away from where I where I'm a member that have got, you know, very, very well set up um staffing structure in my opinion. I've been worked in that job where they've got a manager, they've got an assistant manager. Um one golf club's got a golf operations person who's got a desk overlooking the first tee. I mean terrific. You'd love to have it as anyone doing my yeah. job, you know. But I think I think maybe it all goes back to legacy of Golf clubs historically, um, you know, the, the treasurer's job and the old um, secretary manager, hate that title, but it's the old secretary manager job, was almost about cutting costs and spending as little as possible in any area possible. Uh, you know, customer service wasn't really a great focus because golf clubs were full. They all had joining fees. They all had waiting lists. So it was almost, yeah. almost, I think, a bit of an arrogance to the to the industry, certainly in in the UK, of we kind of don't need to be any better than we are because look at the demand versus the supply. We know that's not been the case for for a long time now. It was a thing. Yeah, sure. I went to my first uh, GCMA membership, so Golf Club Managers Association. For those who don't know, um, I was very sort of wet behind the ears. I, I think I'd been in the job. Two months, uh, my first golf club. I was only 27. Um, I'd been lucky to get the job at Radha Golf Club, which is, um, in my opinion, the best course in Cardiff. Um, <laughs> and I went to this meeting, and you know there were a whole load of guys there that had done the job for quite a while, but they all seemed to... They were obviously a lot older than me, but that wasn't uncommon back then. They would... Um, They'd sort of spend most of the meeting talking with great sort of uh, pride on having saved £300 for their annual insurance premium. And, you know, they'd cut this cost and they'd cut that cost. And I'd come from a different background. I was more interested in how, how to get the, the income higher in these places. You know, I sort of looked at it and thought, my God, the way these places are run and structured at the time, this is 15 years ago, I thought, you know, you could definitely fill your coffers a little bit more. So then maybe not be so obsessed with just pinching pennies all the time, you know. And I think what happens over the years is the, the, the golf club that I'm a member of, they don't mix with any other golf club managers. So they don't find out what other clubs do and work well. Um, whereas there are other golf clubs and I, you know, I think it's, I think it must be five, six years since I've missed a GCMA regional meeting. Um, where they engage with their fellow golf club managers, they discuss things. You know, we've got WhatsApp groups that go on now, and 
there we are zoom meeting after zoom meeting and you kind of find out this is how it's structured over there and then over time i think they may they may get a little more similar in that sense to to what they are because in in the past i think everyone was every every job description was almost created in a vacuum and what suited that particular club and the final point i'd make on it is um i've certainly experienced it coming into jobs and also i know when i've left jobs they kind of look for the when you're leaving they kind of look for the so in my case the anti-gareth so <laughs> i know for a fact that two golf clubs i've worked for when they've interviewed for my successor when i've uh, given my notice and, and moved on it's come up in their meetings as to whether they're a tidy desk person because i am not a tidy desk person um my desk often looks like i've been burgled so why does that matter it well it in terms of doing my job um it doesn't matter in any way but these are the quirky little things that that go on and and so you know it does become important um, i mean for another example and and you know dress code in golf is big at the moment but Oh, we'll get on to that. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I haven't worn a tie to work now for I believe six years. It's a um it's a I don't know, it's almost my own little one man protest. Um <laughs> it's just again it's a step away from that old fashioned thing. Um and there, there are there are good mates of mine in this industry that are very similar age to me that can't believe I get away with it. And I, I don't feel I do get away with it, you know, because if anyone ever asks me why I don't wear a tie, I do actually tell them why. Why it's just not it's not that type of job anymore where you you're sort of wandering around the clubhouse and almost policing people's dress code and the old sergeant major type that's in the clubhouse. It's quite a busy job, you know, and and sometimes. Yeah. You need to just up and walk a mile out to the fourth green where I work now, you know, and, and wearing a three-piece suit and your tie and your best shoes and that sort of thing. It's not like that. Really. You've got to, you know, I need to head over to the driving range because the driving range is not working. We had recently. and Yeah. There's all sorts of things, you know, so you need to look smart, you need to look presentable, but my, my preference is to be wearing club-crested um, clothing and... Um, and yeah, it's just one of those things. It's just not, you know, it's not for me. I, I wear a tie when it's the AGM. I wear a tie if it were, you know, if we were interviewing someone, because I think that's appropriate for the, for the, um, for the setting. But you know, I mean, there are there are people that think that even though they're all there in, um, you know, their golf shirt and slacks and a pint in front of them for a committee meeting the gm should be sat there in this three-piece suit in the corner and i just think i just find it quite bizarre i find the whole thing of dress code bizarre but golf well that's what um, i was going to kind of get on get on to is is yeah it's just this yeah bizarre notion that we've always done it this way so we'll continue to do it this mm. way whether that's wearing a tie or, and whether that thing is appropriate for your job uh, i guess in a manager i've been at a golf club when I was a kid, I remember this, the secretary manager, as you would call him, yeah. just stayed in his secretary's thing and he didn't like people knocking his door. Um, I, I mean, probably because we were juniors, to be <laughs> fair, but, you know, um, asking stupid stuff. But um, he, 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 it wasn't a kind of, I know what you're like, coming out and wel- being wel- a welcome face to, and engaging with members. It very much wasn't that. It was you know make sure the competition stuff's done and that was kind of seen seemed to be his seemed to be the job i i, I was going to ask you uh, while you were talking what percentage of golf clubs would you say i guess are the ones that kind of engage with you know gcma or other things and with other golf managers to work out what's what's going well in other places and what percentage would you say are the ones that are kind of like hermits in their own, own golf mm. club and, and stay as they are well, I've, I'm lucky to be um, elected onto the board of the GCMA back in June. And, and what I would say is I've learned a lot about this topic since then. Um, and it seems to be uh, quite a regional thing. 
because I'm, I'm actually the director who's got responsibility for membership now, obviously in conjunction with the, the head office staff, that sort of thing. But each each director has a, an area of the business we look at. And one of the things I've done is is I've held um, Zoom meetings with the regional committees of, I believe it's 13 of the 16 regions that we've held with so far, just to get their feedback and, and to make, make sure they understand what their membership position actually is as a region. And it is it is a little bit up and down. Um, so proprietary golf clubs don't tend to engage at the moment that much with uh, GCMA. There are exceptions. Um, there's a couple in the southwest that are very active members, and they bring a hell of a lot to the to the group that we can all learn from. Um, but if I could use Wales as an example, I think there's 100, 140, 150 golf courses in Wales. We've got 42 golf clubs where we've got a GCMA member at the moment. Now that that simply has to improve, and it's something that um, something that almost angers me really not on behalf of the GCMA on behalf of the individual managers that don't feel they want to be uh, or they need to be a part of this um, now part of that is we need to do a better job of letting them know what the benefits are but honestly I, I cannot tell you the benefit I have had from being a member of the GCMA for 15 years it's been you know at one point I had a difficult time in my career where so having some drama with a with a club I was working for. I actually think they kept me from going over the edge mentally. You know, the guys in my GCMA region, um, they were they were terrific. You know, there wasn't a day the telephone wouldn't ring from one of them at a time where frankly I probably didn't want to speak to anybody. Yeah. That's what happens, isn't it, when you start to plummet into those debts. And I've tried to pay that back as over the years when I see other people struggling then as well, but um, I'd, I'd imagine, um, and I think we've talked about this before, but I'd imagine it uh, can be a, a lonely job as you're doing a job that's, um, you know, you, you're the only person at a golf club doing that job. Mm -hmm. And then I guess you very much relate to other managers who have either similar issues or similar concerns from members yeah. or similar things people are saying. Um, and, if, and if you just kind of kept to yourself, you wouldn't know that it's a, uh, a similar problem or it's a normal thing would you say no you wouldn't and uh, you know some people tell me i shouldn't speak so openly about the you know the bad days in my career but you know i think that the reason i do that more than anything is that i know that when you are in those sort of dark days and thankfully they didn't last very long for me ever i've been very lucky over the 15 years but um i think you're not likely to go and ask for help I just, if people know that this is something I struggled with at some point, maybe, maybe they'll just be brave enough to drop me a text and say, look, I'm struggling a bit. I know you went through a period yourself, you know, fancy a chat or, you know, any advice or, or something like that, because um, otherwise it can, it can feel a very lonely place because you, you don't want to put upon other people. You don't want to, um, yeah, you almost feel like, a bit of shame, you know. I mean, yeah. I've sat in a GCMA meeting where some old guy in, in the meeting actually actually said, "Oh well, good managers, this doesn't happen to." And I just looked at him and thought, "You haven't got a clue, mate. Not a clue." Yeah, yeah. And um, so I, I try to pay that back now because I hope it never gets to that in my career again. Um, I wouldn't certainly wouldn't wish it on people, but you know, unfortunately, what tends to happen, especially with men. Uh, sorry guys, but yeah. with men is that we we're less likely to talk to anyone when this is going on, and the worse it gets, the less likely we are to answer the phone or reach out to someone, um, and and it it can just become a spiral. Um, and like I say, you know, there there are people in in the GCMA Welsh region that you know I'll I'll never forget how good they were to me during that time and I don't think I'd still be a golf club manager without them either because um you know it was definitely wanting to stay involved with those guys was part of my decision to, to take the plunge again four years ago so are you talk you're talking it sounds like you're talking from a professional um point of view where you might have um you might have 
struggles, but also maybe a mental health uh, point of view, um, would you say? Uh, it was de- definitely the mental health side, the, the professional side of it. You know, it is what it is. Clubs, clubs sometimes want to go in a different direction. They want to restructure and they want to do this. And granted, they, well, more often than not, unfortunately, in the golf industry, they go about it in a very inappropriate and, frankly, unacceptable way. But you know, the, the professional side is one thing. But you know, with that, you know, comes the my God, how am I going to pay my mortgage? How am I going to look after my family? You know, your whole self worth is. When you yeah. put so much into your job, when something like that happens to you, it's um, yeah, it can be you know, it almost puts everything that you are on the line and makes you question it and that sort of thing. And you know, these these guys sometimes it was just a phone call and ask if there was any update. But if they hadn't called, apart from my parents and my wife, I probably wouldn't have spoken to anyone for four or five months, maybe while it was all going on and. And I mean that—that's enough to send anyone uh, over the edge, I think, because people will will know better than ever at the moment from experiencing lockdowns. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a traditional thing with 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 men, especially once you um, have a family and things. It's a very old school traditional thing to almost keep your professional life, and if you're having issues at professional, not to bring them home, kind of thing, because you're seen mm. as the breadwinner kind of thing and if you're if you don't want to put any of that onto your family kind of thing I've definitely experienced that myself in in my um profession but I think it's a traditional thing that stops men from really talking about it when really we should with whether it's at home but it definitely helps when you've got um people in your industry that you can talk to as well that won't be kind of judgmental I guess yeah it, it definitely does and you know the, I mean the example I use is, is hopefully the, the worst thing that ever happens to a golf manager in their career but you know, there's sometimes with um, with sharing best practice. I mean, it's happened more in the last six, seven months than I've ever seen it before because we're all learning on the hop here. You know, mm-hmm. and I mean, our I'm in two WhatsApp groups, one for the Southwest region, one for Wales, and and when an announcement comes out, those you know those uh, those WhatsApp groups take fire. You know, they they literally catch fire. And you know this and that, and ideas are bouncing around and everything else. And over time, now with technology, how easy it is to share best practice, that sort of thing. I do think the clubs that engage will become it will become a more similar job from job to job. But you know, going back to the point I originally made, really, is that clubs quite often look for the anti Gareth or you know the anti John or whoever's leaving the job. Rather than just saying, right, what is it we want from a golf club manager? And almost forget the person that's leading that job and say, what is it that we want from our manager? This is the current job description. Is there anything we want to change and, and go from there, you know? Um, do, do you think, do you think that, um, and this would be my impression without, with zero, um, you know, data or any, of having seen anything, but do you think there are certain golf clubs with, that would want kind of a subservient manager? Um, that just a bit of a kind of a yes man to the, the the boys on the committee kind of thing. I could only speculate because, as you can probably tell, I wouldn't get that job. But um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, maybe, maybe um, you know. Certainly, uh, yeah. I think we could probably all name some you know very famous golf clubs where, to be honest, you know, being seen in and around the golf club in a very smart suit and a tie would definitely be a you know a necessary part of the job. That's not me saying that you should never wear a tie to work, you know, what I said earlier. But you know, yeah. when you when you are working in these sort of you know busy city golf clubs with six seven hundred playing members paying you know a decent whack to be members, but they're not paying through the nose to be members, you know, some of these clubs where it's five grand joining fee before you've even hit a ball, that sort of thing. It's, you know, I've never worked in one of those. Um, sometimes, yeah, but what, what I would say is any golf club manager that's done the job, I would hope would sniff that out during the interview process and probably wouldn't progress any further. Because, you know, if, if you're... If you're anything like me or most of the guys I deal with in GCMA circles, you actually wouldn't be very good in the eyes of that golf club because, you know, you've got expertise that, frankly, those guys have really got. You've got experience. You've failed in things that, 
you know you know will not happen or will not go well sorry and um and if the committee or the chairman or whoever it is is not receptive to what you're telling them um you're going to get frustrated in your own job they're not going to rate you in the job that you're doing and that only ends one way really you know it's like like the old football manager thing, isn't it? Um, like Manchester United, I'm a huge Man United fan, and I love Jose Mourinho because I have a football coaching background myself. Yeah. But that that was never ever the right match, ever. You know, it was never going to work. But well, some, oh, Mourinho, Mourinho. Yeah, Mourinho for United because the, the type of football Mourinho plays, and the way he is when he doesn't get his own way, that was never ever going to fit. Manchester United, so it is important that you get the right, the right type of person. I mean, when I when I left my first golf club manager's job, I actually said to them at the time because there'd been some changes in and around how the committee was operating. I said, look, I leave this this meeting now. What I suggest before we place this advert for my replacement is: Do you want a general manager, or do you want the club secretary? So, you know, because at the time it's very progressive club now. But at the time, um, I just felt that it was becoming more and more that it was more sort of the committee almost wanted me to spend the next four weeks carrying out the tasks they give me in a committee meeting and not really manage the business myself. Um, it's not like that at all there now, I know. But I'm sure, I'm sure you're going to say this is different in every job as well. Hmm. And I'm sure you would have ex well experience or know about, and you kind of mentioned it earlier with a golf club without the, without a manager. But how much, um, how many times do you kind of? I, I know you've mentioned before that you have a good committee at where mm. you are now. Let's say that, um, but uh, I wouldn't. I genuinely <laughs> wouldn't. <laughs> I was, I'd find I'd find different ways to, to say they weren't. But no, they they've been great. I've been there eighteen months. Um, yeah. They in 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 my from my perspective as the golf club manager, when you ask them for policy decisions, you'll get it, even if you don't agree with what the policy is. But that's fine. Um, and they do kind of stay out of your way um, with regards to operations and everything else. And 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 it's not an easy thing to do when you're on a committee. That so I can only take my hat off to them really. Yeah. What I was going to say is, how many times have you encountered it where you completely just or you or other managers are just completely banging their head against the wall because there's just absolute irrational decisions coming from a committee and you're having to kind of enact them or fight them or whatever, like on that, in that sense. Um, I've, I've only had one job where it's been like that, to be honest. Um, yeah, there's always decisions that get passed by committee that, um, that you may not agree with. Uh, and you may actually say, look, this is not going to play out well and this is how I think this is going to play out. And, you know, in because of our experience and, and draw, you know, it's not really my experience. It's a course matter. I've already drawn the experience of the course manager before I've gone into the meeting, you know. So sometimes the decision doesn't go your way, but it, it's when everything is, you know, is that way. It becomes a very difficult job to do. I've only experienced it once, but I do, like I said, talk to a lot of other managers and, Unfortunately, there are there are quite a number of clubs out there where the job can be like that. Um, you know, particularly I find for people who are maybe in their first post, so it's the first time they've been a golf club GM. Maybe they've yeah. um, maybe they've progressed through the ranks at their golf club, should we say? So they maybe don't carry that instant respect for their opinion that you might get if you, you know, as Gareth coming in from Kingsdown Golf Club too long, Ashton. Um, so, yeah, I, it does happen. I hope over time as, as the, the, you know, the golf club manager's profession, you know, the, we are now people who are coming into this as a profession, not somebody who has taken their last job before retirement, which was the norm. I hope yeah. over time, the clubs will... Um, the clubs will keep to keep progressing and keep trusting their managers to do the job. Um, that doesn't mean you have to just be tr blindly trusted, but you would hope that their recruitment process would would mean that. You know, the first thing I always say to anyone who ever asks me, "We're looking for a golf club manager. What should we look for?" My answer is always, "Well, number one, try and find someone who's done it before." 
Um, and that's not that's not a catch all. Doesn't mean you have to. I mean, I got, I got a job once where I hadn't done it before. But yeah, if you can find someone who's done it before, and then find someone who's done it well before, you're halfway there, really. Um, just purely because when I started all those years ago now, 27 years old, I promise you, my induction was. Here's the keys. Here's your assistant. Here's a walk around the clubhouse. All the best. And <laughs> and um, they didn't even know how many members they had at the time. Um, and this was you know, considered you know one of the premier golf courses in South Wales. Um, you know, I I like to think all of the industry has progressed a lot since then. Um, but there there are still some outliers. I think where you know, it's still the old-fashioned, you know, 18-man committee and what the committee says is, is gospel and the manager just carries out the instructions throughout the month until the next four-hour meeting comes along. You know, they're, they're still out there. They still exist. Yeah, that it brings me on kind of nicely to... Um, we put a tweet out the other day. Someone sent me a, a message from a committee. Um, I don't know if you've seen it. A message from a committee about... Tyrrell Hatton's hoodie and just to re-emphasize that hoodies are not allowed at this golf club um comparing them to ripped jeans or something mm. they put that out and uh, a friend of mine he's a caddy actually but he talked about his um a friend of his who was chairman of a golf club and they were talking about the the sock length or something in yeah. the committee meeting and his friend was a chairman and he just said, he, this is the text I've got. He said, just, he said, stop. This is a half a million pound a year business. We do not deal with things like this, mm. which is good from a chairman. You think it's like talking about things that are a bit silly when, you know, it is a, it is a as you would know, there's more important things um, than the length of yeah. people's socks. But where, what, what's the, what's the, how do you how have you seen the kind of dress code evolve and where do you see it kind of going um from your point of view and how does that and how do those decisions get passed right um my first experience of dress codes would have been when i started playing golf eight or nine years old at st Mullins golf club um mm -hmm. and you know it was the old-fashioned you know, I, I had an interview, eight-year-old kid interview with a panel of about eight guys in their club blazers. Or you had an interview when you were eight. Uh, I tell you, it was intimidating stuff, intimidating <laughs> stuff. Now, thankfully, my dad is a, has been a golf club member all his life. Uh, he's an ex-club champion at two clubs. You know, he, he, knows, he knows the crack. So he prepared me for, you know, this interview and so it was, you know, but I still remember it to this day. So I mean, that says enough about it. Um, but back then, it, it was it was extremely strict. Uh, I mean, there was rules for everything. Um, there still are in some clubs, but I like to think that is slightly easy. But the um, when I but then wind the clock on a little bit to fifteen years ago. Um, you know, jeans were not allowed in any clubhouse, in any golf course in Cardiff back then. 15 mm -hmm. years on, I believe, at last count, because I keep an eye on this stuff, I think there's only two of the eight that don't allow jeans in clubhouse anymore. So, you know, it is getting there slowly. And that, again, is, I think the most difficult one would have been being the first to do it. Because yeah. I was in the club that tried to. And we passed it on a Tuesday night in a committee meeting. And by Friday, we had a petition in for an EGM to block it. So they, they, they reversed and didn't do it. That club now does allow jeans in their clubhouse. Fine. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. I do respect the traditions of any club. So you know, as I said to you before, before we, we sort of came live here, just in a little chat we had before, my beliefs on dress code do not mean that's what I'm going to try and impose where I work um, because I don't and I never have, um, Yeah. especially where I work now. Um, but, and there's a big but, I find the whole thing ridiculous in golf in general, absolutely ridiculous. And I have these debates with members all the time. 
Um, and there are always debates, there are always discussions, and we usually leave the discussion saying we'll just agree to disagree. But mm-hmm. they don't then see me the following day trying to permit, you know, whatever it is they don't like. But the, there's some there's some outlier ones then, and some ones I remember. I mean, I remember my first committee meeting, and I'll name the club here because it was a it was a hilarious conversation. I was working at Craiger Golf Club. It was my first committee meeting after leaving Rada to go there. And there was a huge, long discussion that I sat and listened to for probably 20 minutes, and it was all around sandals. And there was, I think the average age of that committee at the time would have been well well over 60 years old. And the general feeling was, look, sandals are fine, but you have to have socks on. <laughs> now, 31-year-old Gareth is sat there thinking, are you joking? Are you joking? What do you mean? I <laughs> sandals are okay because I'm thinking I wouldn't personally wear sandals, but what do you mean I have to wear socks with them? That's absolutely ludicrous. And I let the conversation go. And I, and I said, "Can I just tell you?" Go on. No, sorry, go on. Um. Uh, I said, can I just tell you, you know, earlier in this meeting, you were talking about how to attract younger golfers into the club. And you've just spent 20 minutes telling someone of my age um, that, you know, if you want to wear sandals, you have to wear socks. I said, can I tell you something? I would rather die than wear socks and sandals into a bar. I said, I, I don't know where this is coming from, you know. I said, please ban sandals before you say sandals and socks are acceptable. But therein lies part of the problem, I think, there is that what one generation thinks is, you know, perfectly acceptable or the, you know, the the desired outcome. Someone who was hardly a kid at the time, but someone, you know, maybe 20, 30 years younger than them wouldn't be seen dead in it. And that's half of the problem. And it's, it's probably a good time to tell you that the last conversation I ever had with my grandfather before he passed on a few years ago, bless him, he was one of them. He was one of these traditionalists. Yeah. And, you know, former club captain, former club treasurer up at Pontefree's Golf Club up in the, uh, up in Ronvacan and Taft, up on the top of the mountain. And he was one of these guys that had lived at the golf club for about 20 years of his life. And, you know, he was one of the people who still believed to this, to the day, to the day passed on that uh, you should wear a blazer and a tie in the clubhouse at all times. Yeah. Now, obviously, Pontypridd had moved on from that years and years beforehand. But, you know, we were having this debate about it and I put all my usual points forward and everything else. And I just finished the conversation. I said, look, I'll leave you with, with this thought. I said, would you join a club where I told you that you have to dress like me and my mates? Of course not, he said. Oh, bloody awful. You know, in his forthright ways. Yeah. I said, well, maybe have a think about that because that's what you're asking from me. And for the first time, I think, ever, he didn't have an answer to that. And I, I I repeat that point frequently to people now when they, you know, the the these sort of seven pound ninety nine chinos that someone's picked up in, you know, maybe a charity shop or peacocks or wherever it is, you know, fine, but that chap over there in his hundred and twenty pound jeans are not are not acceptable. It's I don't I don't understand it. I, I just if someone could give me some logic to it. I, I, I might yeah, I, I might be able to swallow it a bit more actually. I guess I guess it's just uh, and you would know better than me, but I guess it's just a legacy thing that it's always been this way and to just chip back little parts of it um takes a lot of effort um mm. in a committee meeting because you're yeah, you're talking about the sock length for a half an hour and then a vote goes through and then you have an EGM to cancel that so to even chip little bits off it 
and time progresses faster than you chip bits off it, basically. Mm. That makes sense. Well, the, um, the origins of the rules, just to basically, I mean, to, to enhance the point you were making, really, you know, the I always try and look back at, and this goes to all rules in golf, but what was the origin of the rules? So if you look at the origin of, I mean, the hoodie is the is the, the latest one, isn't it? Jeans in clubhouses has been going on for 30 years, but the hoodie on the golf course, right. The origin of not allowing hoodies on the golf course, if you wind that back 20, 25, 30 years, who wore hoodies 30 years ago? I was going to say, is it a class thing? It would have been, but it would also, I would inadvertently i would say it's probably a class thing but the hoodie 25 30 years ago was predominantly the sort of working garment of the working man that would you know maybe the painter decorator and what and what would that painter decorator have on the the bottom half of their body probably jeans yeah that's not the case anymore is it now you still find painted decorators in hoodies, fine. But there are, I mean, you wouldn't you wouldn't know this because you can't see me. But I'm sat here in a hoodie now, and when I'm not in work, I would say eighty percent of the <laughs> of the sort of tops that I have have hoods on them. I think I'm ninety five percent. So, so you know, it, it was it just seemed when sporting clothing has has sort of evolved the way it has. I'm surprised it's taken this long, really, because what is so offensive about that hood? You know, yeah, it's I, strange. I, I, I think there isn't anything. And like you say, the logic fails, like um, with your late grandfather. Mm. Um, the logic does fail, but that doesn't mean it gets through committee meetings. As we know, in all walks of life, things can be logical, but they don't actually happen or people don't want them or vote them through. Um, as we can, yeah, in all, in all walks of life. But um, yeah, it just seems to me that the sport and clothing, I do think that, do, have you seen it happen that with, you know, Adidas bringing out a hoodie or, you know, Nike bringing out the collarless tops, do you think that helps push things through in golf clubs? Um, or is it just not? I think the collarless top one, um, when Tiger started wearing them, I think that was a little easier because there wasn't really much else on the market at the time that would resemble it. Um, mm -hmm. I can imagine a committee of, well, in my case, eight, sitting there now, deliberating over over hoodies the problem is once you say you're allowed to wear tops with hoods on them you will get the people that go out and buy the you know Tyrrell Hatton's top from last week and though that's fine but the problem is there's so many hooded garments out there nowadays that you'd have to almost have a new dress code to define which hoodies are and aren't acceptable um, because again, most sports clubs have got hoodies, haven't they? I mean, the football club uh, I've had involvement in for the last few years, yeah. we've got you know brand football club branded things with hoods, and we've got sponsors across the front and everything like that. And you know, even I don't think that looks great on a golf course. You know, uh, such and such meat packing factory across the front of your of your top. You know. Um, and I think, but just to, to take the to take the point back to the origin of your question, really, what committees do in these discussions is they don't actually sit and have the conversation that you and I are having now and look logically at it. For them, and I totally get this, it's more a case of how is this going to go down if we pass this? That's what it is. That's yeah. That's the bit that makes people, it's not the committee or the committees that sit over a 10-year period are not to blame for the lack of progression in, uh, in terms of um, dress code change. You, you know, you almost do have to chip away slowly at it as a committee because if you try anything too radical, it can consume your life, I promise you. It can consume your life. 
you know, that you're now allowing shorts in the dining room. Imagine that. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the shorts are absolutely acceptable everywhere else, but not in that room. Um, you know, I mean, my, my club, uh, they, they, they softened it now, thankfully, but my club where I play a couple of years ago, uh, jeans were allowed in the bar from five o'clock on a Friday until, forgive me, I can't remember what time on a Sunday, but at all other times it was an unacceptable garment. What is that? You know, that, that yeah. that's a committee stopping at a halfway house, not wanting to offend the midweek retired members who don't want to wear jeans. And I wonder that, you know, when people hear, oh, we're going to allow jeans in the clubhouse, I don't have the answer to this, but do they think we're telling them they have to wear jeans in the clubhouse? This is always my thing with dress code. Is and, and, and from what I've seen in golf clubs that aren't run by committees, whether they're run privately or whether, it's generally privately and they've just done away with the dress code um, or it's kind of an unspoken thing. It, it's not on the website or what have you. Yeah. Everyone wears golf clothes. Yeah. 99% of people wear golf clothes because they're going to play golf. They wear golf clothes. There might be the odd one that would be, you know, slightly off a traditional dress code in whatever it might be. Um, you know, they might be, I don't know. I don't know what it might be, but it, it, people wear, they might have their shirt untucked or something. Oh yeah. God forbid. Um, but God forbid. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which obviously that in America, everyone wears their shirt untucked. It's hot, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and over here, it's um, that you'll see the secretary rushing out of his uh, office to the first tee. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, that's the thing that the fear, it seems there's a fear that, and every time I put this on Twitter, and I know Twitter is not the best place for any kind of debate or, <laughs> or, um, Thing, as you well know but it's this fear that we're going to somehow have you know criminal members running around hacking up the bunkers leaving pitch marks everywhere everyone's going to be wearing hoodies everyone's going to be wearing football boots on the greens or something and it's like that just doesn't happen because there's lots of golf clubs that have the private golf clubs and it just doesn't happen people just wear golf clubs yeah yeah so but but once again, in the large majority of golf clubs, like as you would know, they're run with a committee or with a manager, and to get that change through, I and you and I think you meant, mentioned it before. There there's a fear of a vocal minority in that golf club of members. Yeah, is that would you say? That yeah, and I, but I I think you I think you've hit on something as well. Yes, the vocal minority, um, every not just in golf, but I think that's. In, in most organizations you know i think i think that's the case the vocal minority will will almost almost sort of scare uh you know committees because they're volunteers as well you know sometimes yeah. i hear it no i haven't signed up for this nonsense um <laughs> and you know but i think the um the point is what you find in committees and i i try and steer them away from, from doing this in anything that dress code or otherwise is there'll be a radical proposal this side and then a either you know keep the status quo or far less radical proposal on the other side and they settle for something in the middle and it almost pleases nobody you know so you know do we do we ban do we ban jeans or do we not ban jeans decision you know, well, <laughs> Long Ashton, I, I, I tease members about this rule all the time. So, decision, Long Ashton, all other colours of jeans are acceptable, but not blue. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's terrific, isn't it? That that is fantastic. My my favourite ever one for, you know, just you know agreeing to meet in the middle at a pointless a pointless thing. A golf club I used to work for, it wasn't while I worked there. They they had two rooms, um, a bar and a snooker room. And the debate was the snooker room's not getting used anymore. Should we knock the wall through and make it one room? So 
There was a camp in the club that said, no, let's keep it at two rooms. There was a camp in the club that said, knock it through and make it one big room. And neither room were terribly big, so it, it could have done with being knocked through. Yeah. Decision, knock half the wall down. <laughs> I promise you. I promise you. And it was like that for several years. And uh, towards the end of my time there, we knocked the rest of it through and made it one big room. But, you know, I mean, that that's my favourite one. Do we knock the wall down or do we leave it at decision, knock half the wall down? Unbelievable. Well, maybe the tip here for people that want to um, do away with dress code in their golf club is to go with such an extreme proposal, maybe that everyone has to play golf naked, and then, <laughs> yeah. and then they'll meet in the middle and it's just, yeah, well, just don't play naked. You've got to wear some clothes, but, uh, but we'll do away with our dress code. Yeah, I, I, want, I do wonder sometimes, because that's the, that's the crazy thing about golf, though, isn't it? Is that there are some pretty out there clothing that actually does comply with golf dress codes in general. You know? Yeah. So, some, some unbelievable stuff. Frankly, some stuff that looks terrible. But, you know, that's okay. But your, you know, your Armani jeans are not because they're blue. I mean, it's, it's, it's very strange. Very strange. Well, I, I, from what it's like, I'd be a radical. I'd be known as a, as a radical in a golf club, wanting the dress. I would just say, I, I don't see how a golf club is any different to a restaurant, a pub, any other place where you can trust your patrons to dress themselves. Mm. And when I'm on a golf course, it really does not. I, I would not wear some of those loudmouth trousers or you know hats that people wear. But if you get pleasure out of wearing that, I'm happy for you. Similarly, if you're an old boy and you've got, you know, gin stains on your chinos, <laughs> I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. Good luck to you. Um, yeah. Just let's just pick up and repair our pitch marks. Yeah. So that's my philosophy on all of it. I just don't see the difference between a golf club and a restaurant. Yeah. And in a restaurant, people do not turn up, you know, wearing with no no clothes on or wearing anything that particularly offends people um it just doesn't happen no so to me it's just a very simple logical thing but i know if i stood in a committee meeting and said that i'd get voted down eight to one probably <laughs> um yeah actually i find when these chats happen in committee meetings they're they're, they're a lot closer to what you you're what you're saying generally in the discussion, it's the decision that comes out of, of that committee meeting that um, that doesn't doesn't reflect what you're saying because it is just the fear of the oh the noise. Even the person who sits in that meeting in my job, you know, I'd be thinking, oh, do I really want to disappear down this rabbit hole for the next six weeks? I've got other things to do. You know, I, I think yeah. that's the reality. It's just it's the, yeah. the fear of, of what will come back in the other direction sometimes. It's a very good point, and you mentioned it before, especially if you're doing the role and giving a lot of your time up for free. Mm. Um, like you mentioned, um, the treasurer at the old golf club or the current the, right, the right, treasurer. Yeah. Who, yeah. Like, his, his job must be bloody tough anyway yeah. without taking new things, even if it's three members or five members that are going to be at him for it. Yeah. So... Do you think that's the kind of the big thing that stopped it? I guess even your, yeah, even yourself, you've got so much on your plate that you don't want another thing on your plate, basically. Yeah. I, I, I think the next progression for us as golf clubs and committees and managers, and we're the ones that you've got to take ownership for this, the technology exists now to be allowed to, to, to run referendums on things. Do you know what I mean? So put the decision in the hands of the members. If you believe yeah. you're one of those eight committee men that the majority of the members want you to allow blue jeans in the clubhouse now, just use Survey Monkey. Do you know what I mean? Just put it out there and like Brexit, you know, majority rules. And and but but the beauty of that is is if seventy, you know, or fifty five, seventy percent, whatever it is, come back and say no, we don't want that. Well, that's a decision made, isn't it? And it's not the committee vilified for it then. The the members have spoken. You know, I, I think we should do more of that as a golf club. 
Yeah, yeah, and giving everyone a say. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you don't vote, then, well, don't moan. Yeah, and I, I, I guess there's a fear of people leaving the golf club, or it, but that's not people aren't going to do that, are they? Realistically, just I, I always say this when anyone, and and I, and I mean this wholeheartedly. When when you get people saying, "If you don't X, I will leave the golf club," my my view on that is, look, if something as small as that would make you leave, you obviously can't be happy as it is, and I, and I'll I'll happily work overtime until we get you know a new member in to to replace you and if i can help you at all to find a club that you think will fit your standards more than than this one no problem yeah more than happy to help i'll give you a great reference because to to just to continue a point you'd made earlier this is supposed to be people's leisure time and yeah. like most things i do in leisure i do to enjoy it <laughs> not spend yeah. Spend my time moaning and complaining and being downright unhappy about something, you know. So we want people to have, we want people that are in the club to be happy and to enjoy it and and to you know to to think the golf course is good and to enjoy the to enjoy the experience when they come off afterwards and have a pint and maybe have another one and you know yeah. not, not to, just arguing all the time. Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. Um, as you can tell by when it ended, it's still going on. And there's uh, another hour over on the Patreon to patreon.com forward slash the club golf. Um, it's, it's like a fiver a month and you'll get access to all the podcasts early. You'll get access to the live chat that we have during majors and things like that. Um, and extra content um, over on there. But um, yep, hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, subscribe to the podcast online and you'll have you'll see all of the podcasts coming out straight to your phone when you want them cheers and see you again mm-hmm.